Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. I'm your host of the episode, Joseph Carson, and it's a pleasure to be here today with you. I've got another awesome guest for today's show. So I'm actually joined by the awesome, well-known ethical hacker, FC. So FC, welcome to the, today's episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So my name is FC. I'm a ethical hacker, but I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of a cybersecurity company called Cygenta. Awesome. So tell me, I mean, we've met many times over the past and I've listened to a lot of your talks. How did you get into hacking in the first place? What was, what was your journey um, into getting into this industry? Oh, man, that's, that's it's a very different <laughs> journey to what most people would probably think of nowadays. Um, you know, there was no classes on this. There, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't really very much around when I was when I was getting into this. So, you know, I'm a lot older than I seem. Um, <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. Um, when I got into it, the World Wide Web didn't exist. Right, there yeah. were no such things as hyperlinks. You couldn't click anything. Um, you know, it's all billboard systems and Di- dial up modems. <laughs> dial up modems. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I got into computers really as a, uh, an escape from a very terrible mm. childhood. Um, they were, they were not an industry. They were just a mm. play thing really. And I got into hacking by being a sysadmin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got a, a role as a sysadmin for a while and it was very clear that, you know, no one was doing security. So I had to do that security for that company. Um, that meant I had to learn all the techniques, mm-hmm. which was fine because I was doing that anyway. Um, and then actually that just became more fun to do. And so I'm really lucky in the fact that the the industry uh, mm-hmm. that we're in grew up around what essentially was my hobby. Um, I don't know what <laughs> I could have done if, you know, I, I, I trained to be a scientist originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to go into computers because there was nothing in it. Um, mm-hmm. But it became very clear to me very quickly that I didn't want to be stuck in a lab. I wanted to be doing stuff. So I'm stuck at a desk with yeah. computers instead. No, absolutely. I mean, what I think, so my, my path was like literally two choices. I was like, you know, after leaving school for my path was, was either I could choose to go down the path of art. It was like, I used to be a lot of <laughs> okay. art and artists. So was, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that portion of my life, but yeah. um, the other side of kind of was, was the same as was, was going down computer science. Cause very early, I was into you know gaming. You know, my kind of kind of was it uh, most of my social life was basically playing games and computer games. Oh, wow. And actually, one of the things I always remember was I, I made a pretty good earning at school because one thing that I loved, you know, the system administrator there. I would go to school, and we had these old you know Apple classics. Um, and literally, what I would do is I, I I knew where the system administrator kept the password. I would go and basically, you know, get into the administrator, install games, charge my classmates to to also install the games in their computers. We play games all day long, and then the system administrator would come that evening and go, "Who the hell put all these games in these computers?" And then start uninstalling them. 
So the next day you come back in again and, and, and you make the money. So, so for me, my childhood was very, uh, you know, I, I, it was very curiosity. There was a lot of curiosity. And uh, I, I made a pretty decent financial living at school from doing that. Um, nice. But the same thing as well is that you know, when there was no dedicated course for security. There was nothing. Secur- yeah. Security was something you did in addition to your job. You know, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was a help desk worker and did system administrator. And it was always something you did in addition to your job. It was a task. It was, it was something yeah. you did in addition. So I think, I yeah. think the great thing, though, is that, you know, the, the opportunity we had was we learned a, lot, a broader skill set. We learned a lot about hardware. Uh, we learned a lot mm-hmm. about the software and how to build things, uh, which I think sometimes is, it, it's, it's a good thing because we learn how everything gets connected. I think one of the, the things I see today is that a lot of people go very narrow focused into specific fields and really don't yeah. get that intersection side of things so yeah i mean when when, when we grew up like you know the, the computers i had back then were <laughs> ridiculous like the, you know that i had the acorn electron <laughs> i had uh, an amstrad cpc um awesome you know, computer <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I upgraded to a Commodore 64. Yeah, uh, the BBC Micro. You know, when when you get a computer like that, and they don't come with like an operating system installed, etc., you get a massive book, you know, a thick book of how everything works, and you had to tell it everything that it was to do, right? You know, other than the actual basic compilation part, if you wanted it to do something, even load a game, you had to. You know, basically right i remember sitting there you know reading through magazines and typing out yeah. all of the programs and basic by hand by hand basic. Um, and the yeah, find out, like find hundred, out. hundreds and hundreds of rows of, of, <laughs> of code yeah it's ridiculous i mean imagine um, our childhoods we were sitting late evenings after school typing in basic code into a computer yeah and then you go to compile to use it once and, uh, to use once <laughs> and it will compile it and all of a sudden you'll be like error at line you know 100 and something and you'd be like huh yeah and then it wouldn't that's where i really get into my you know uh, fixing (laughs) skills Uh, because then you would read in the magazine the next month they would do a reprint and they say oh we made a mistake (laughs) in last month's code (laughs) Uh, and here's the corrected code and you was like oh no (laughs) so but it was it was great because it really meant that you forced to troubleshoot things you were forced to learn how things were built um, exactly. And really got into that that curiosity troubleshooting mindset, and I think a lot of us, a lot of in the industry came from that background. Um, and I yeah, think a lot of yeah, a lot of people definitely. I I follow kind of we all came from similar backgrounds. But but I do think that you know it, it's great that there's you know that background of of, of skill set knowledge. But as an industry, we do need to diversify. We do need to get a lot of because it's no longer just about you know the security of systems, but it's everything. It's the human aspect of thing. It's yeah, the physical security, and also, you know, one of the things that you did, um, you did one of the, you know, the talks you do at conferences, is that you also do a lot of physical security um, as well. Yeah. So, you know, did, did you kind of did you start with software security, or did you kind of move more into the physical side first, or kind of how how did that evolve into the physical side? Yeah. So, you know, back when I started this, you know, th- there wasn't really a physical security industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just trying to feel our way through it all mm. and how that how it started for me was i was doing a lot of uh, pen tests on site i was going to mm. like clients and 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 breaking into their computer systems on, on you know within their network rather, rather than sort of the web mm-hmm. stuff and whilst i was there i would spot little security issues mm-hmm. and so what i started doing was just noting them down so at the end of my pen test report there'll be a little note saying hey 
this has nothing to do with this, but you should be aware of this security issue. And those lists started to get bigger and bigger. And eventually some of our clients were like, hang on, that's actually quite useful. Can you do more of that? And I was like, yeah, okay, we can. And so it slowly moved into or evolved into creating a separate report on mm -hmm. that side. And then it became an entirely separate service. And it was like, okay, look, you have to pay for this particular thing because I'm not now doing it for free whilst we're doing yeah. pen tests as well. Um, so that's really how it sort of just eased into that um, for me. Okay. Yeah, for me, when I, I'm, you know, I was always surprised when a lot of the data centers I was going into, it was the physical security was always the impressive side. You had, you know, security guards <laughs> machine guns at the front entrance. And yeah, you would have, you know, there was moats around some of the data centers that I went to. Um, and you had the, you know, when you're going in, you had to go through this figure, you know, check-in verification process with your identity. And you had to be on the list and register to be allowed in. Mm -hmm. um, and you had to get inside the data center. And all of a sudden, you know, that you you're only allowed in specific cages um, that yeah. was basically specific for for companies. So I always remember from you know going through the physical side. Um, it, it, there's all the companies you go into, and the physical was horrendous. You, know? <laughs> you just you walk in and you know push the door and, and, and you'd walk in. Um, mm. But a lot of the data center side, I'll remember the physical was was always impressive. But then I would go home and sit in my my like you know in the office at home and basically all of a sudden just vpn in with administrator domain credentials and you'd be looking you know well okay you know, you've got you've got this impressive physical side but literally mm -hmm. your software side was completely the door was completely open so but you know what was kind of from did you find because i think a lot of they, they were usually very separate roles and very separate yeah, backgrounds of people who would do physical uh, uh penetration testing versus software and I think you know, they really converged very much to, in today's industry. Um, what was the balance of like, kind of how how did you kind of balance between them? Because they are very, sometimes very different skill sets. They they are incredibly different uh, skill sets. Actually, um, I've actually found throughout the years like how the trends have changed on this. And like you mm. said, like you know, when we started out, physical security was the biggest thing, right? So yeah. you know, back then banks were impenetrable, data centers <laughs> were impenetrable. Um, and software was just awful. Yep. Nowadays, more and more budget is being spent on the software side, and they're getting really good at that, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know we're, we're learning a lot of stuff. And what that meant is the physical side has kind of got left behind a little bit. And so okay. one of the reasons we started, my, my wife and mm -hmm. I started Sygenta, was to bring back a bit of um, clarity to that. So... Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to show up this, you know, th there are three sections to security, really. There's physical, yeah. there's hu uh, there's the human side, and then there's digital, yeah. right? And if you don't have those three areas working together, you you don't have security, right? And right. you've just shown that with that story. It's like <laughs> physical is great, but software is terrible, right? So you can get in. Or physical and software are great, but people human side uh, is, are yeah. not trained well. So mm -hmm. it's, it's lacking you get in. And I've actually spotted a shift in that in that physical is now really really weak right so mm -hmm. all of these data centers that you, you you spoke about yeah they're they're okay but mm -hmm. you can still get in all of those systems that you mentioned they have bypasses and we can get through them i've been yeah. doing this for many 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 years i've broken into thousands and thousands of sites mm -hmm. i have a hundred percent success rate at doing that now do you think that that is because i'm some super alien awesome breaker inner or I do you do you see something more endemic in that? 
I think what so so I, I actually went to like a years ago. One of my last uh, penetration tests was on a power station, and mm-hmm. I remember uh, going through. And for me, I was hoping I was going to delegate it to someone else because I normally the person that does the reconnaissance side of things, and I do the you know the passive assessment. I and then I pass it to mm-hmm. someone else to do it. But at the time, there wasn't somebody available to do it, and I thought, okay, I'll just do it myself. And it was really mm-hmm. interesting because it's all about. I think when you look at it, if you actually do an, enough understanding, enough reconnaissance, enough ob- observations, eventually you'll find a way in. Yeah, and always, 100%. What I found was that it, when I did the attack path, um, I was looking at one of the physical, I was looking at this power station. And you think about a power station, you're thinking about same scenario. You've got even you know sand around so they can actually see you know if there's been footprints um, going up yeah. to the gates. They've got cameras everywhere. And when I went through the whole process, my path was was going through the supply chain, was finding a company that either was delivering food or actually mm-hmm. was doing maintenance or services or cl- even cleaning and looking for ways in order to go through basically through the human side of things that would give me authorization to walk in there because basically, yeah. you know, I had the badge, I had the jacket, mm-hmm. I had the clothes, and you looked like you should be there. Is that something that you find? What you I mean? What's what's your method uh, that you tend to find the most successful? Ah, so that that's really interesting. Um, it it really depends on your target mm-hmm. and how you adapt to that target. Because mm-hmm. what will work really really well for, say, a power station, will not work for, uh, you know, a, a trading bank. Right? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you have to pick and choose what. I would I would have preferred a trading after. bank to be honest. <laughs> So yeah, like what works for me is really just, just really trying it. Right. Mm-hmm. So not being afraid of what might happen because you're there to help the client. Yeah. And so there's no real, there's no real way of failing a social engineering test. Mm-hmm. And that's why in, in the last few years, I've really moved away from doing social engineering tests because I don't really think they give much value to the client, right? So like you said, you will always find a way in, right? And there's always going to be a way in because, well, people have to get in and out, right? And there's always going to be flaws in those security systems. You're always going to find some some method of getting into whatever organization. And like I say, I've done this for many years, 100% success rate because of that recon stage highlights some issues. So I don't really think that social engineering really has too much of a place now, or maybe it's put on too much of a pedestal now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's about giving the client the best value for money. And so we do yeah. security assessments, physical assessments now, where we walk around with our client and we assess all of their security and be like, okay, mm-hmm. is this actually worthwhile doing? You know, yeah. we've, we've spent many times going into banks or whoever, and being like, why have you spent sixty thousand pounds on a door that you can circumvent another way? Yeah, it's not working, right? And the reason, and the reason they've done that is because they've had a social engineering test and they've got through that door, so mm-hmm. they upgrade that piece of security and don't worry about the rest of it. So yeah, I, I've moved away from that more into the assessment side, and that's what Sygenta do more now. More kind of walking walk through the observation side and then highlighting it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, think that's a more so, effective so, way. It's it's much more, you know, because what you're doing, you're able to highlight multiple things together rather than just highlighting one specific thing, of, you know. Because ex- I think exactly. I always remember the mistake that I made. Um, 
when I was doing that particular penetration test was that when I eventually, in the end, I ended up finding a piece of paper with credentials and sitting on a desk. And I, you know, for me, I thought that was the case of the kingdom. And that, yeah. and I think my, my mistake that I always remember was I stopped the pen test at that point because I thought I'd already, I succeeded. Yeah. And I always regret not continuing and looking for more things. Um, and I think that method you're doing, you know, that you're proposing and suggesting is, is definitely, you know, a way to keep progressing and going through and checking. Uh, because when you get into yeah. a lot of physical side, it's a lot of things are kind of feel open. Uh, because health and safety is the priority. And then a lot of times yeah, for health and safety is, is that weakness sometimes uh, because it's the way mm-hmm. in order to, to kind of force things to, to work in your favor. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. Health and safety always breaks all security, right? Because yep. there's actually a chapter in my upcoming book about how that happens and why that happens. You know, there's a lot of ways that I've got into buildings because of the health and safety factor. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's really interesting to see how people really focus on a social engineering a, a assessment mm-hmm. and they go, okay, we, we, we want you to try and get into this building via this method using this. And it all becomes very micro-focused, whereas the assessments we do, you know, I'm, I'm literally updating uh, this morning our mm-hmm. checklist of stuff that I go around and check. Now, a social engineering test will maybe test mm-hmm. one entrance way right or at least highlight that there's an issue with that one yeah. entrance because but like it can also say, be most it people, can also be momentarily it can also be at that yeah. point in time yeah this yeah, person was under stress thing. it's 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 a it's a it's a temperature reading at a specific amount of time um it's exactly. no guarantee that the same thing that you do next week would be successful exactly and that's part of the recon phase mm-hmm. is finding those temporal moments where it's accessible and so the the client gets a report says right we got in via this method in this time right the checks we do now you know the last time i checked it's 420 ish checks that Mm -hmm. we do in a walk around there's no way that a social engineering test will highlight those 420 issues (laughs) right you're going to get a good idea of what your security posture is of that site from that versus Hey, no, I managed to climb down a, a lift shaft and get into your data center. <laughs> yeah, because I think your, your point is, is that you know that you're showing all the issues and making it clear, rather than just that one successful exactly. that was successful at that point in time, which doesn't make any value yeah. for a company to to go and say this was the success at that time. But we're not going to go through and check everything. Um, yeah, and I think it's really important um, to highlight all of those. Yeah, and and we as an industry do get caught up in that a little bit of time. It's like, you know, I, I want to break in because I want to show how awesome I am. Mm. And, it's, and, and people kind of forget that you're not there to make yourself look awesome. You know, yeah. And it's the same with when you're doing a pen test versus, say, a bug bounty, right? So mm. with a bug bounty, you kind of stop as soon as you find something cool and you go, right, okay, now I'm going to report that. Yeah. Whereas with a pen test, you you could never get away with that if I just if I just scanned until I found the one issue and then went okay that that's the pen test that's not going to fly you have to no. you have to give everything you have to say here are all of the flaws that's exactly my point when when I did you know the, when I find the credentials for the you know the systems yeah for me I thought you know I've won I've been successful I've got yeah. the credentials and so you've I can come won back. but. And I stopped doing the pen test at that point. And I, I always regret not going through and continuing 
and trying to find other things because that's what my job was there to find was actually to find yeah. all of the risks, not just the big mm-hmm. one that I assumed was yeah. the one that was basically showing success for me. And I think, uh, you know, I always, I always remember that's the point when I think about, you know, past things and I think of, you know, what's educational is that never, you know, always f- complete what you're there to do. Never just assume yeah. that when you get this one big thing that it's finished, you want to look for all of the risks. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many times when I've seen people on Twitter or something. It's like, hey, got domain admin in like the first hour. It's like, great, but what are all the other issues that you found? Yeah. What's what's the ones that's going to you know be the impact? What's the ones yeah. that's going to bring the business down? Um, yeah. and what's the ones that will allow the attackers to be stealthy? Because that's I think for me, uh, one of the things I've now prioritized uh, in my techniques is I have a I have a stealth rating thing that I do. So I'll go through and I'll I'll plan all the different attack paths and my stealth rating will determine each of those different paths. What's the noise that I will create? So it's almost like, you know, it's Mm. it's like that Geigo counter type of thing where, you know, (laughs) or it's, it's, it's looking for basically which one will be that, you know, it might be not the most successful path, but it's the one that creates the least amount of noise and will go undetected because one of the things I always find is when you're doing a pen test as well, is that you'll find is that once you make too much noise at the beginning too early, it can be almost game over because all of a sudden the defenders know you're coming. And they'll basically, yeah, you know, exactly. they'll be more cautious, they'll be more vigilant, they'll be increasing their sensors, they'll be looking for you. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, going through my basically, you know, stealth meter is I prefer to go through these little kind of, you know, poking the hole very, very kind of cautiously at the beginning um yeah. so that you you know you stay undetected you stay hidden um and it's those ones i think those are the ones that organizations need to be aware of uh, because it's the ones yeah, that most it, attackers will follow yeah and that harks back to what we were saying earlier about how you have to change per client and per mm-hmm. target because you know you can do all the really stealthy stuff and takes three weeks to get in yeah. and never be detected by by the uh, you know sort of the network thing but maybe your client doesn't have that budget maybe your client doesn't even have a team for monitoring that in real time. And so maybe they just want you to scan everything as quickly as possible and, and get out. You know, yeah. <laughs> just get so the, the report to, at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we, we try and avoid those sorts of clients that yeah. just want a tick box exercise. Um, so, yeah. so question, because for me, absolutely, I completely agree that from the human aspects, the technology and the physical side of getting it all working together, because it, it only takes yeah. one one of one of those to fail for the the entire you know thing to fail. So, what are you finding? You know, are you finding that more people are starting to become more hygiene aware? Um, are you seeing that your clients are getting more support from the executive boards in, into investing in these? What's what's your observations that you're seeing, you know, uh, in these areas from the human side and the executive support side? So that really changes from client to client, mm-hmm. right? So our new clients, they're always not great, right? That's why they're mm-hmm. coming to yeah. us. They've, they've maybe gone to other companies and they've had these tick box exercises and a bit of video awareness or whatever, <laughs> right? And they've not really improved, and they're kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe we should go with someone that is slightly more expensive, but they clearly know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the clients that we've worked with for years and years, and we've seen marked increase in mm-hmm. you know, buy-in from the board, et cetera, because we do things for the board, mm-hmm. right? We show them what we're doing. We show them why it's important. We get them to have that buy-in. And we've yep. taken several clients from that that stage where the board just will not, 
accept that they need to do anything mm-hmm. through to them championing like some of the the education that we're trying to push in so it, it it's really great to see that sort of growth especially over like you know sort of three five years you know we, yeah. we see that sort of growth in in companies it's really nice yeah i think one of you know for you know we've kind of had probably similar length in our careers in this industry. And I think when I remember it in the early days, if, if, if a system or, you know, application or something was down, mm-hmm. didn't have a big impact. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, the business can continue. You would find, you know, yeah. If email wasn't working, what would you do? You get the telephone and you call up the person, you speak to them directly. Yeah. So yeah. certain things, you know, back then, you know, if systems fields, it was an IT problem, and IT could fix it. Um, but it, mm-hmm. it didn't mean that the business was was stopped. It didn't mean that the business was yeah. impacted. So it was still an IT issue. And then later, you know, probably in the two thousand side of things, where you know systems became a bit more, let's say, uh, you know, uh, let's say critical to the to the business. Um, but still, they were segmented. They 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 didn't have this cascading effect. So you might have one application down which might limit the business service, but the business would still function, maybe at a degraded capability. So it became yeah. you know, still an IT problem, maybe an you know, uh, isolated business problem, but the business could continue. But you fast forward to today, and it's, you know, if systems go down, <laughs> the business stops. And I think this is where we start seeing is that, you know, I always say that we've, we've moved where it's no longer IT, it's no longer security. When we had to get to the point where we had to realize that this becomes a business impact and it's a business response. And we always had to move beyond that. We can't just kick, kick it over to IT and say, here's an incident, you go fix the issue. Because the yeah. business actually, you know, because all these systems are integrated, independent, you know, dependent on each other. Are you seeing mm-hmm. that type of impact where the criticality of, and that's why the clients are, you know, really prioritizing this as something to, to really focus on? Yeah, I mean, we you know we've seen massive changes over the mm. industry over the years. You know, um, you know, I remember back in oh, oh, many years ago. You know, like you say, a, a small company running a, a you know Microsoft SBS. Yeah. You know that <laughs> everything's in that one server, and if that one server goes down, then they don't get like the the emails coming through. Yeah. They don't get. Yeah, maybe they, they've but, got a website. They remember with an the telephone. Page. They remember the telephone. And the, they remember the, the telephone. Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. Um, not of you can, I can't remember anyone's number. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like you know nowadays everything is computerized. Even like the telephone system. Yeah. You know, if if the power goes down, everything stops. Yeah. You know, it's it's very bizarre to have seen that change of mm-hmm. where everything is now so interdependent. Um, yeah, and especially when a lot of stuff is moving to cloud, we saw a lot of resistance from clients pre-COVID to move to the cloud. And we're like, no, it's a really good thing. You should be embracing that. Then COVID happens and then they're like, oh, my God, maybe we should move to the cloud. We should, yeah. well, maybe you should have done that five years ago when we told you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just thinking outside the box here. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fascinating to see all the changes that have happened in the years. So, so what, what's the question as well? Are you seeing, you know, is it one-time engagements that companies are coming to you for? Or are they looking for more of a long-term service? Um, you know, because I think this is one of the biggest differences. And for me, I think most organizations should really go to like a retainership with expertise and have them always in hand rather than just these one-time checkbox. As you know, going back to those temperature moments, you're reading the temperature, mm-hmm. rather than getting understanding about how your posture is continuously. Um, so, what type yeah. of what type of you know uh, organizations are you seeing um, from that perspective? 
So we have a lot of companies that come to us via recommendations. We don't really do much selling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do basically no marketing, the odd podcast like this, but you <laughs> yes. know, it, this isn't really selling either. Um, so a lot of our work comes through word of mouth, right? Yep. Recommendations. We had one this morning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 30,000 employee company came to us through a recommendation of another massive company. Yep. Um, so that's how most of our business comes in. And they generally come in, they want loads of stuff, mm-hmm. but they test us with a few little things first to okay. see how we how we sort of get on. And we have had some clients where we haven't felt we're a good fit for them. So we mm-hmm. say, okay, look, that was nice, but see you later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we fire our clients if we don't work well with them, <laughs> um, which is it's a good thing to do, right? It, yeah. It's good for your it's mental well-being. It, yeah, as well as as it keeps you uh, focused on the things that you want to be doing um, as well. Yeah. Exactly. And so so the, a lot of companies come to us for just a few things and then they stay with us because they love mm-hmm. the way that we work and we, we sort of communicate with them. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the some of the services that we have that we offer are because we worked with clients before and they said, mm-hmm. Do you know what, this would be really cool if we have this. So now we have like, you know, um vulnerability and analysis that has mm-hmm. sort of you know pretty much continuous updates and it goes into their own little portal where they can go in and they can mm-hmm. see all the vulnerabilities that are there and manage it all themselves rather than using like a crappy Excel document. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was brought about because a client really wanted that. And we were like, mm-hmm. okay, we don't have that. We'll build it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work really closely with our clients to make sure we are giving them everything that they need. Okay. And it's, so it becomes a long-term engagement. You almost become an extension exactly. to their business. And I think it's really yeah, important because you get to know the business more because I think knowing the business is also an important aspect of this. Yeah. And we also get to know the people. You know, we're really great friends with a lot of our clients, right? Because yeah. on that personal level, we understand what they're going through. They understand what we're going through. We all mm-hmm. sit down, you know, we can you know, pre-COVID, we would go out to dinner, et cetera, and we'd have a good chat. And there would never be any sort of real hard sale on that. It would be like, mm-hmm. okay, what are your pain points this week and how can we help? Or, or they would come to us and be like, look, have you, do you know anyone that could do this? And if we don't do it, then mm-hmm. either is it something we want to be doing or maybe we know someone that would do it and we yeah. sort of refer out a lot of clients to other people that we know they're really good at this and we mm-hmm. trust them with that. Absolutely. It, it definitely is a, is a community, you know, approach to this. Um, it's always important to make sure you get the right people to help um, organizations be able to become more resilient. One of the things I've always been fascinated um, with both you, yourself and, and, and Jessica too, is definitely from the, the kids side of things and, and, and schools and, and knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the things you've done with the Cheltenham days and uh, what, you know, because yeah. I think, I think for me, we need to, to, get the next generation prepared for this so um and what you've been doing you know in this i think is is, is amazing yeah so we, we've done a lot of outreach you know it, it's really massively tailed off because of covid could go into any places mm-hmm. we we've changed the way that we work a little bit on that we're we're not trying to take on too much we're honoring mm-hmm. sort of you know, agreements that we have already but we're kind of stepping back from that because we do have clients to, to sort of sort mm-hmm. out first, right? But we we were committed to doing a lot of outreach, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
especially with Cheltenham Science Festival, was a yep. big thing for us. Um, you know, where we saw like ten thousand kids in a week. You know, and, and trying to encourage them into cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a big thing for us because of I had a really terrible childhood. I didn't mm-hmm. have anyone around, and so offering all of that advice yeah. for free was something that we felt really passionate about. It is something, unfortunately, we have had to step away from a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we try and do blog posts. We try and do yeah. YouTube channels, you know, so that people can see some of this stuff and maybe get the bug for doing what we do. Yeah. And did you learn a lot from the kids when you were doing this? Because one thing I remember when, when I was doing, yeah, in Estonia, I did a project that was called Back to School. It was basically mm-hmm. people in the industry just going to school and teaching a lesson. And I originally thought that I was going to teach the kids. I thought, I'm going to go in and go teach all these kids about cybersecurity. And all of a sudden, I, I think it was the first time I came out and I was like, I learned more from the kids than I probably even give you know, knowledge back to them. Um, yeah. What was your kind of, did you, did you learn a lot about their type of social interaction, what types of credentials yeah, they I, were using and you know, devices and apps? I think, I think the biggest thing that I have learned from the, you know, from kids all the way through to young adults at university, you know, that sort of level is they're way smarter than <laughs> you think they are. Way, way smarter. That yep. the biggest turning point for me on that was when we were doing a talk about uh social media, mm-hmm. right? And being careful sharing those credentials, etc. And one kid was like, hang on. What do you mean, like, for which account? I'm like, what do you mean, which account? And so these kids, yeah, I mean, these are like seven, eight, yeah. ten-year-olds that shouldn't really be on social media, but they do. They keep different groups separate. So they have one account for their friends. They have one account for their family. They have one account for, like, something yeah. else. And it's just like, what? I didn't even realize you were that knowledgeable about that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I find when I started uh, getting into to going and doing the, the, the taxi call and back to school, I started with the older kids. I thought that's where I can make a difference. And I started, it was around 12 to maybe 15 year olds. I find that it was all, already way too late because cause I thought the same. I thought that's when kids will be getting their social media accounts. That's when that's when a lot of the law says that you're meant to be 13 or above to get yeah. these accounts. But all the kids find ways around it. And I actually find that, yes, the, the younger I had to get to was about seven years old in order to actually be making a difference um, and, you know, stopping some of the bad habits and getting an understanding about one of the things, some of the things that we're doing. But you're absolutely right. I think, you know, you, you sometimes assume just because the laws and just some of the apps says that it's the, this agent above, but when you get into reality, it's yeah. it's a whole different story. It's, it's, it's like a, anything with security. <laughs> like once you, you you see what the, the there should be, and you see what there is, and it, that, that dissonance is just kind of like, oh my god, uh, yeah. you know. And but it's really important for us to educate our clients and adults as well. And we do a lot of um, help for universities as well, you know, because the universities are really struggling because that mm-hmm. that's you know there's still a dissonance between university courses and the industry yes. so yeah you know we're, we're trying to help all over the shop and now we're, we're sort of really you know we focused on the clients then we went to, mm-hmm. to kids now we're back to clients again so we, we yeah. sort of keep jumping between them but our focus nowadays is really very much with adults and trying to make sure that they're safe because whilst whilst it's nice doing that there mm-hmm. are people that are way better at doing that than than we are yeah. um and we can concentrate on on what we're being paid for really 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I always you were reminded as well as I think when I realized that I was going into and teaching the kids, and then I realized actually I need to teach the parents and I need to teach the teachers, and <laughs> and it became a kind of realization that the kids are learning from from them. And their habits and yeah. hygiene was was you know not uh, where it should yeah. be. So it was always a thing about you know, as an industry, I think I think that's going to be the big challenge going forward is how do we make sure that you know one as we get the right you know because I will say security is not security is not something that I you know I, I can make myself as secure as I possibly can, but I realize that my boundaries is always my social sphere. It's the social network around me where security starts. Mm-hmm. So the more that I can, you know, spread that around, the more I can get the people that I I network with to be a bit more secure has a big impact to me as well. And I think you know businesses yeah. as well should probably take that approach too, realizing yeah. that it's not just yeah, for the employees; it's this entire social sphere that those businesses have. Suppliers, yeah, yeah. When, when, when we when we yeah. do when we do any sort of work with a client where it, it focuses on like executive insurance assurance rather mm-hmm. not insurance assurance yeah, um, <laughs> um, and we do all the OSINT reports mm-hmm. on the high net worth of individuals mm-hmm. we're always looking at that that sort of sphere around them their, their parents you know their kids their parents their siblings their their cousins nephews mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff because that really does feed into it yeah. I think the best the best story that I know of that shows that is um, I did a panel last year, I think it was, with Sir John Sawyer, who is the ex-head of MI5. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy who is represented by M in Bond, yeah. for those that don't yeah. know. Um, he, when he took over the role um, uh, at the MI5, mm-hmm. um, up until that point, his role was very much secret, right? No one knew who that person was. That was mm-hmm. kept under wraps. Um, he was found out to be the new head of MI5 because of a picture that his wife posted on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> um, of him in a pair of Speedos yeah. on, on a beach. Um, so, yeah, it's, it shows that even at that high level, that sphere of influence around you is really your security bubble. It's not yeah. you. Yeah, especially when you get a lot of those those roles. You know, there's no pictures and yeah. no names. Oh, it was no 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 surnames. You can still have first name, but yeah. there's no surnames as far yeah. as I remember. Yeah. So and it was really about you know they had the no no bio no not just just a first, just a name <laughs> or yeah. a letter <laughs> M R. Yeah. So yeah, um, really, yeah, <laughs> which really keeps <laughs> exactly to you know keeps that uh, you know knowledge down as much as you possibly can. So questions, how, how, you know, one of the things I always find is, you know, balancing the time for me um, to stay up to date and keep my skills because this industry changes, you know, what we mm-hmm. learned today may be completely different next year. And, yeah. you know, how do you stay up to date? What, what ways do you balance um, kind of keeping that knowledge and learning? How do you kind of keep, keep yourself fresh? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question because it's not like I just have a nine to five job, right? It's not like I'm just a random pen tester for a company. I I run the company that I also work for, right? So I'm doing the nine to five stuff, but I'm also doing all the admin, doing, yeah, yeah I'm helping with the finance, I'm doing all the marketing and the, the tweets and, and the blogs. Yeah, my wife helps out with the, the blog posts. <laughs> yeah. We we have to run a company. So I have to mm-hmm. find time to run a company. Then I have to find time to be employed by the company and then i have to find time for me you know as personal um so i have to carve out moments where i can improve my skills so i do a Mm -hmm. lot of ctfs i 
I don't really do bug bounties. Um, I what I tend to do is I use bug bounties as ways to testing our tools. Okay. So okay. It's, rather than using our clients for testing stuff, you go to a bug bounty, you sign up to it, you get a list of valid targets that you can mm -hmm. scan or whatever, as long as you keep within like the, their rules the scope, of engagement yeah. um, and the, their scope, then it's great because you've got free targets on the internet mm -hmm. that you can try out new um, tools on. You can try out new you know, sort of um, tool chains on. Mm -hmm. And then you can test that way. So that's always a nice way. But I do a lot of, um, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and, and yeah. try and keep up to up to date with stuff. And it, it's hard when you have a holiday for a, like a week <laughs> you know, or even a weekend or even an hour off. <laughs> the, the world can change massively. So you have to just constantly keep up with it. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's important to really enjoy it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. I'll never do anything else. Yeah. I'm not I think it's quit you know, quit the job and become a baker or whatever. It's yeah. This is I love this is doing our it. hobby. This is this is you know we, we're it, doing yeah. our hobby for for a job, which is always great. So exactly um, that that throwback to what I was saying right at the beginning was like this was a hobby before it became a job, and now I'm yeah. really really stupendously lucky that I get paid very well to do my hobby. Yeah, and so what do i do outside of work well i kind of do more of the stuff yeah more of the same i try and do a little bit of gaming i've just got into sim racing now oh okay that's my new thing yeah my my, um, my 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 bad habit you can probably see it in the back of the camera for those who are looking at the video is i've got my uh retro pies um and i've got oh, my eight bit nice. do arcade sticks which i I'll, oh nice so it's yeah so i i've i don't get the the time to do it properly <laughs> maybe i get to turn it on i just saw even monkey yeah. island is bringing up a new version so i was excited oh, about yes. that yes very excited about that so very very excited so, but yeah that's gaming is a great way to to escape but uh um yeah. it's always a challenge you know do you, so do you dedicate time to to your kind of blocks of things because you know even myself i you know i've got my one day administrative yeah. which is like Mondays where I block a bit of time. This is my admin tasks. Nothing disturbs me at that point. Oh, I then have allocated time to doing some catch of the flag or some online, you know, even watching some videos and stuff. Do you allocate the time or do you just kind of go how you feel at the time? No, I would love to be able to do that, yeah. but my my <laughs> my personality doesn't allow me to do that. I can't I can't compartmentalize things <laughs> like that. It's you know I'm very much reactive when it comes to stuff. I was like, okay, this is a problem. I need to deal with this now, and then I'll get mm -hmm. really into that, and then I'll go up and do something else. Yeah. The only time I really compartmentalize like that mm -hmm. is if I'm on a client job. Okay. It's like, okay, like a project. Things between yeah. between these hours, that is all I am doing, um, because obviously they're they're paying us for that time, and yep. they deserve to have that time. I'm not going to sit there watching youtube videos and scrolling through blog <laughs> posts when i should be doing that so that's the only time i ever really get like really hyper focused on something mm -hmm. otherwise it's just like okay we'll just work more hours right yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you know you know this morning i was up at what half six this morning writing chapters in my book then i did some you know accounting stuff and then then go into the day and it's like half past eight and I'm like, okay, now I need to start work. Yeah. So question. So, so you're, you're not competing with Jessica and getting your own book as well. Now he's like, <laughs> so she's, she's got two books. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so and what's, and what's, the, what's the what's so. the book about then? What, are you able to share, or can what's the timeline? Yeah, I can do. Yeah, so um, I I signed a contract with Wiley. Um, okay. So Wiley are going to be publishing mm. the book, um, and it's called How I Rob Banks, and it is a collection of stories of mm-hmm. physical assessments that I've then done. So all of the funny parts, all the educational parts. There's going to be some stuff in it about like yeah, how do you do this and this. Mm. Um, so that a few little sort of tips and tricks mm-hmm. and techniques that I've used in the past. Um, so that, yeah, it's just going to be a nice little collection of all of that that awesome. hopefully will entertain and educate. Yes, it's always good. Is 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 when you do this story. I always I always like to take things rather than just to kind of is to add the, the the context around it and the story that really takes people on the exactly. journey. Exactly, and I think it's always important. Exactly. So so when you can and when you can entertain and at the same time add education, it's the best combination. So there's so yeah. So what, yeah, what timelines are we looking are, at? So, well, the the contract says that I have to be finished by Christmas, <laughs> so so I'm desperately writing every day okay. uh, to make sure that I hit uh, those deadlines. Um, I'm slightly ahead, which is nice. Well, that's a good thing. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I believe I can't, I can't say anything about where or when it's going to be released, okay. but it will be um, early next year. Fantastic! I'm looking looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's been it's it's been awesome having you on the show, and it's really I, you know to, to catch up and to chat with you and hear some of the kind of the, uh, what you're doing is is great. Any any words of wisdom that you would leave the audience with uh, that you'd recommend? Um... Yeah, just seek some mental help. Find something that makes you happy, and lean into it. Right. So, you know, with with the gaming thing that we said earlier, you know, I. I, I like to dabble in games every now and again whenever I could. And my wife and, and my therapist have both said, <laughs> lean into it because you need something to release yourself. So find the thing that makes you happy. Find something that you enjoy and really lean into it. Because the worst case is maybe you don't like it as much as you thought, but you'll never know until you try Give it, it a try. That's, it's always important. I think it's wise words for, for everyone, uh, for the you know the audiences listening, listening in. It's always important to do the things you enjoy doing, and and, and yeah. you know, uh, you can't take of you can't take care of anyone else until you take care of yourself first. And that's always important thing. Yeah. So you always make sure that you, you you do the things, take care of yourself first, and then that gives you the ability to to then you know help others. So uh, yeah. very wise words. Yeah, just, and, yeah I was uh, going to say just just remember, like at best, you get ninety nine summers. Yep. Enjoy <laughs> the summers that you have. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get a lot more. We we can find a, a some some science. Maybe you can get get the science that makes us live <laughs> for a long, nice. longer. We're looking forward to it. But you're absolutely oh, right. Nice. At best, um, ninety nine summers. Many of us won't make those, but <laughs> I'm hoping hoping I will. Yeah. But. Uh, FC, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, many thanks. It's Look forward to it. Hopefully, we get to catch up at some point soon. Um, not yeah, because I hope the so. pandemic is it's kept a lot of us in a bit of isolation, especially those that's uh, yeah. Um, a bit further away from others. So, but uh, next time, yeah. let's make sure we find time. Um, well, so for the I'll audience, definitely be at Infosec. Oh, um, I think this year. So I'll be yeah, there. Be nice. Yes. We'll, there we go. Then we'll, so, we'll meet up and we'll uh, we'll catch up. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So, so again, many thanks, audience. Again, another episode of Four on Access tonight uh, with FC. It's been an amazing and really great and lots of knowledge. Uh, for you know, Make sure you subscribe every two weeks. Uh, get the latest episodes. Go and look at the previous ones. And, uh, again, look forward to the next one and stay safe. Thank you.
Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.